It is time to get this party started. Welcome back to Lit for Christmas, the podcast where the books are full of Christmas spirits and so are the hosts. Join Marty and his friends as they drink their way through the great, and maybe not so great, works of Christmas literature. The fireplace is lit, the tree is lit, the hosts are lit. Grab a glass of something holly and jolly and join us as we get lit for Christmas again. Welcome back to our little Lit for Christmas party. My name is Marty and we are in April, just eight months away from Christmas Eve. It's also National Poetry Month, my favorite month of the year besides December. Um, Speaking of poetry, um, let me introduce my co-host for tonight's podcast, who has been the couplet to my sonnet. Hi, hi, hi to my coup, hi to my coup, my poetic muse for over 30 years, my beautiful and inebriated wife, Beth. In celebration of National Poetry Month, I have a little poem for you. There once was a poet named Marty, who really liked drinking Bacardi. He emptied his glass, expelled gas from his ass, and cleared the whole room with his farty. Really? You, you, you've just been waiting to recite that, have you? Yep. All right, because it is National Poetry Month, I'm going to let you get away with that, um, because I don't want to start a limerick war with you. Okay. Um, it seems like the year is just flying by. Even in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, spring is in the air. And um, I don't know about you, but I couldn't be more excited. Um, so, Beth, what's up with you besides the alcohol content of your blood? Um, this drink is really strong. So, um, are you as excited about National Poetry Month as I am? No, no, I'm not, because next week is the Great Lakes Poetry Festival in our area, and since you are the coordinator of such the festival, it takes you away from me for the whole week, and I'm not really excited about that. We are so busy next week. Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's only in the evenings. I mean, it's just one week. I mean, last year, the Poetry Festival was an entire month. You remember? Yep, I remember how hideous it was last year. Was it hideous, really? It was a lot, a lot of work for you and a lot of coordinating and, yes, it was a lot of work. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, so we have the Great Lakes Poetry Festival, but, you know, aside from that, that's just one week coming up. I mean, what else, what else has been going on? I've been working, you know, I've been working. And, um... I've been working. That's it. And, um, You've just been working. Yes, I've been working. He's been working on the railroad. I've been working at the call center. <laughs> all the live long day and the afternoon. Not really. Yes. Live long day and the afternoon as well. Well, I mean, I mean, there has been. We are, you have to say this, that spring, it feels like spring has finally arrived. We hope so. It's the I mean, there was some snow today, just yes. a little bit. And there's still cold temperatures, and there's still frost in the car when we go out in the morning. Mm. Not all the time. Yeah, 
is still frost. And it's 20 degrees sometimes when we wake up in the morning. Well, yeah. And the furnace is still kicking in. Well, yeah. And, you know, thank God for the furnace. Um, because <laughs> it does get a little a little uh, frigid at night. You know, I don't want to talk about spend an entire 20 minutes or so talking about the weather. Okay. Because, because, you know, only people who live in the UP can complain about the weather in the UP. And I know we live in the UP and we're UPers, but, you know, um, anybody living outside of the UP doesn't really want to hear, you know, that, uh, that, you know, sometimes we get huge snowstorms in May. Right. Um, so, but, you know, the one thing that has happened in the last month, I don't know. Do we want to talk about the what happened with our little puppy? I uh, don't know. Well, now that you mention it, we better. Well, you know, it was oh, okay. You know, this is a this is supposed to be a happy, happy, joy, joy podcast. You know, but um, so what happened with with our puppy is that um, she got attacked. She is an eight. She's like a seventeen or eighteen pound miniature. Um, miniature Australian Shepherd, just the cutest little thing in the world. She is the run to the litter, um, and uh, just friendly with everybody and everything. Well, she got attacked by a 90-pound, uh, very large, um, and very aggressive dog. Um, and um, and I was sort of in the middle of the attack um, because uh, I had I had our little puppy with us on a leash, and when the dog came at her. I was the one that sort of had to get in the middle and because this dog had had our little puppy by its neck and was shaking it so hard that I thought it was going to going to snap her neck. So I literally had to jam my hand in her in this other dog's mouth to get her to stop. And so we have been dealing with sort of the aftermath of this attack and our little puppy trying to get her back um, back to um, uh, to healthy shape. I mean, she's already had. Like um, uh, a two-hour surgery, they had to reattach muscles and ligaments and things like that. Her hip is still out of socket, and she's going to need another surgery very soon to fix that. So um, it's been a really kind of stressful past month, um, you know. So yeah, sorry to bring y'all down. I hope you're I hope you're drinking right now because um, you're gonna need it. <laughs> you know, you know that's that's what what we have. Um, that it sort of has consumed our time over this last uh, over this last like four weeks um, since uh, since I recorded with Madeline um, um, last last month. You know, um, so yeah, um, that's really what the big thing that's been going on in our lives. And, and, and here's the good thing is that our puppy's in good spirits. Um, she has learned to walk on three feet really quickly. Hopefully she won't have to do that uh, for very much longer. We're hoping that we can get her her um, second surgery and hopefully she, by the summertime, she'll be um, able to walk normally and go on her long walks, which she loves to do. Right. But, um, it's been, it, it, yeah, that's that's been like the thing for us. Um, so yeah, that's that's my story. Um, that's why I'm drinking very strong drinks right now. Um, and uh, 
and yeah, I fall la 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 la. You're bringing everybody down, Martin. Well, you know what can I say? I mean, it's just I I have to be truthful. I mean, it's not been it's not been like a happy kind of four weeks. Um, you know what? Okay, you tell me. You tell me something. One great thing that's happened in the past month for you. One great thing. Yeah, one great, one great thing. Um, what? Or something that you're looking forward to that's coming up in the next month or so. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to Hamilton. We're going to Hamilton the Musical in May. Okay. Around in the area, not in the area, but around us. So I'm very excited about going to see that. I'm very excited mostly because my kids have been listening to it for a long, long time, especially my daughter. So I'm very excited to see her and her excited to see that show. Well, and we're going on Mother's Day weekend. Yes. So we're going to have um, all of our kids. Uh, well, both of our kids are going to be with us. Yes. yes. And, um, and um, Beth's... Uh, Beth's cousin um, Amy is going to be joining us, um, and she and when she and I get together, we sort of—I don't know if we're good for each other. Um, we kind of. Uh, well, how would you describe how, what what happens when Amy and I get together? You're like um, simpatico. You're like you're like the yin and the yang. You fit together like a circle. A circle. Like the yin and the yang symbol. That's what I meant to say. Well, I mean, well, we do like to imbibe. Yes. Um, and we do um like to trash talk. Yes. <laughs> and so I expect this weekend is going to involve um a little bit of drinking. Yes. Um, a little bit of uh trash talking. And um, just, uh, I, I think it's going to be a really good, good time. Um, um, and we're we're really excited. You know, our our daughter is going to be um, out of out of uh, college for the summer. Um, she's going to be studying for her MCATs over the summer, so she's planning on going to medical school and becoming a doctor, so she can support. Beth and I, uh, in the way to which we have become accustomed. Which is poverty, so it should be fine. It should be easy for her. You know, she sends us $25, uh, a gift card to KFC, and we'll be happy. You know? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so, but um, it's, it's a rare occasion now where we get, like, both of our children for an extended period of time right now. Usually it's just, hey, you want to come over for pizza? And we sit and play games for a couple hours. But um, um, this time it's going to be it's going to be a really good time. Um, uh, my my daughter's significant other cannot join us because he's going on a trip with his cousins. Um, so um, it's just it's just uh, blood relatives, you know, that are going to be on this um, trip. And um, hopefully by that time, things will have smoothed out with our puppy. And um you know, and we'll just um, stop at uh, a liquor store before we hit the hotel and and enjoy. Or maybe, maybe since we do live in Michigan where cannabis is mm -hmm. is illegal, you know, maybe we'll pick up something there too. Although I don't think it's legal in Wisconsin. Oh, 
so maybe we can't bring, bring cannabis over state lines. I don't know. Well, you know, if it's purchased legally, though. <laughs> I don't think that counts. You don't think so? I don't think so. I mean, if we get pulled over and we decide to do a search, <laughs> we could get arrested. We are screwed. Screwed <laughs> and tattooed. Mm. Well, I just finished the last of the drink that I made. And I think I made, like, myself a quadruple. Mm-hmm. And it's strong. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, so, I mean, the story of this past month, the month coming up, it's, um, just, uh, some good things, some bad things, um, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. So, well, you know, and I'm, I'm sort of excited about the end of the semester. It's been a long semester of teaching, um, and, um, I'm, I am teaching a summer class. It's a writing class, so it's going to be a lot of work. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a few weeks of non-teaching. And, um, It'll be nice. It'll be really nice. Yeah. Um, but it won't last long because I'm uh, just a few weeks, and then I'll be back into teaching again. But, um, you know, so we got poetry. We've got an injured puppy. We've got Hamilton. And we have got alcohol tonight. So, all right. So, here we go. Um, poetry is in our glasses, so it must be that time. Is that supposed to be haiku? It is the best I could do at this moment. I'm, I'm really drunk. Um, so, um, why don't we pop the cork? Tell everyone, well, the spirit of Christmas. What a spirit? What's the spirit of Christmas present is haunting our glasses tonight? Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas present. Spirit, take me where you will. Month's Christmas lick. We are drinking one of the most popular drinks. The most popular. You know what? I'm trying my very best. <laughs> the most popular. The most most popular drinks in the state of Michigan. In fact, it was invented in the Motor City, Detroit, and is the official cocktail of the state of Michigan. Honey, can you tell us a little bit about the history of tonight's spirit of Christmas present? Well, I can do that probably better than you can, you know um, because people by the things you say. I'm really not. It's just uh, you are like stumbling over every other word. Um, so yes, I can tell you, um, it is officially the state cocktail of Michigan, and it is called the Hummer, um, which has nothing has nothing to do with the vehicle, the Hummer. No, it isn't. It has nothing to do with the vehicle, the Hummer. So basically, we've we've gone back to um, we've gone back to a sort of um, a uh, coffee kind of liqueur. Okay. Um, so basically, the Hummer is basically these are the ingredients. It's one and a half ounces of white rum, um, and if you're if you're going to do a non-alcoholic version, uh, um, you're going to do one and a half ounces of rum extract. Okay. And then one and a half ounces of Kahlua 
or some kind of coffee liqueur. I didn't feel like going out and buying Kahlua, so I had some Baileys, so I always have Baileys. Of course. Always. So um, we did one and a half ounces of Baileys, um, and then the non-alcoholic version of this is adding a teaspoon of cocoa powder to this mixture. And then two scoops of vanilla ice cream. Oh, yeah, I'm there. Um, I think I added a little bit more than two scoops because it needed to be sweetened up a little bit. And basically, ooh, wow, it's coming back up. Um, basically, you put all these ingredients in a blender. You add a couple ice cubes and you blend it until it's smooth. And you pour it into a glass and um, you drink it. You can garnish it if you want with an orange slice, which sounds disgusting to me with this drink. Um, or a cherry. I, I could see a cherry in this drink, yes. but not, not an orange, orange, orange slice. That sounds disgusting. Um, but I know what you want to know. You want to know how this drink came into being. Yes, indeed. That's what I was just thinking. That's what you've been waiting for. Exactly. Really? You're lying. Really? I've you're, been waiting. You're totally lying. I've been waiting. All right. Bated breath. All right. Well, okay. Here's a little history of the okay okay so um um here we go there's there's this yacht club it's the detroit bayview yacht club and for the past 93 years um it has been the launch pad for this very famous race um called the bayview man which is um, a 200 uh, plus mile um freshwater sprint that begins in port huron and ends at mackinac island and usually every year around 200 boats from the Great Lakes race do this race. And um, many, of the, many of the people who join this race are world-renowned. Um, so the Bayview Yacht Club is like a really big deal. Um, but um, that, that's one thing that the Bayview Yacht Club is known for. But the other thing they also know um, is um, a little drink that was created by um, a gentleman named Jerome Adams. Okay. Jerome Adams. So 50 years ago, Adams, um, and he's originally from the state of Georgia, um, he um, started out as a um, dishwasher at the Bayview Yacht Club and then became and yep, became a porter and then eventually ended up behind the bar. And, um, in, um, a, and in February of 1968, so that's what, 40, 50, almost 60 years ago, yes. right? Um, he, it, it was... Um, uh, he decided that he uh, was going to make a new drink because it was a slow afternoon. So, um, what else to do on a slow afternoon behind the bar? Well, and it's strange because it's in February, so it's winter. So you wouldn't right. think that making a drink with vanilla ice cream and everything would would have um, would be that popular. Right. But anyway, um, he he created the he he whipped up the first Hummer and um, started serving it, and it became so popular um, that. It is now known as Michigan's state drink. And the way that um, this drink got its name, according to legend, and this is the story that um, that uh, um, uh, Adams Adams uh, usually tells about it. Um, he, he usually gives credit to the name of this drink to a, a patron who he was first serving it for. Um, and he said one of the guys, this is a quote, one of the guys asked him, well, you got a name for it. And um, Adams told him, I don't have a name for it. And then the guy had like a a second round of the Hummer. And then he said to Adams, you know, after two of these, it kind of makes you want to hum. Well, there you go. 
And so that's how uh, the Hummer got its name. Okay. And um, and it has literally become very famous, especially with um, the yacht racers, the ones who um, are part of this uh, Bayview Mac um, race. Um, and of course, some of these are international racers, so they it's it's sort of really spread all over the place. Um, and um, you know, and it and it's sometimes served, you know, um, all in places like the Key West, um, where the these people that uh, are in this yacht race sometimes they'll make like they'll they'll go through maybe like a hundred gallons of ice cream. Oh, that's make, a lot of ice cream. Well, a lot of ice cream oh. and a lot of liquor too. Yeah. You know, but um, and um, you know, there there have been some some people that have uh, um, like. Michigan expats because sometimes people in Michigan get tired of winter and right. so when they get older they move to other places right. um during the winter especially but um they still like their hummers okay. and so they've taken this drink and it's been transplanted to other places um but and they've added there's some bartenders that have done their own variations on it like um one of them what there's one version that's called the Munising Ball and um, what the Munising Falls is, is it's a frappe. Ooh, I love me some frappe. I hate frappe. Ooh, I like some frappe. Um, but anyway, it's a frappe made with a whole egg. Ooh, I don't like whole a house egg. A house-infused banana rum mm -hmm. and Spalding's coffee liqueur. That's what a Munising Falls is. Which we, we live about 100 miles from Munising. I don't know how how that even relates to Munising. No. In any way, shape, or form, but anyway, um, lots of lots of different variations of of um, the Hummer. Um, however, um, the original Hummer, which is sort of we followed the same recipe, except instead of Kahlua, we used Bailey's. Um, but we followed the traditional recipe of the Hummer. And let me tell you, after two of these, um, you sort of do feel like humming a little bit uh, because it. They, they are quite, quite strong. Um, I mean, when you're talking about three ounces of liquor in, in every drink that you get, and mixed with a couple scoops of ice cream, I mean, it's just, um, it's like it's like liquor with a with a ice cream chaser. I mean, that's basically what it is. So, um, so that's a little bit about um, the the Hummer, the spirit of Christmas present that is haunting our glasses and it's also the official cocktail of the state of Michigan. So there you go. And I think I hear another spirit of Christmas coming at the front door. That, that is a really, really terrible segue. Hey, no, it's the best I got. Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You, you are the Spencer whose coming was foretold me. I am that spirit. What are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. Tonight, in honor of National Poetry Month, we are talking about a novel in verse by author poet Colby Cedar Smith. Uh, that's right, and um, you and I have had the opportunity to meet Colby um, a little while ago. And listen to her read from tonight's uh, Christmas Lit. She was an amazing reader and a super nice person. Well, you know, most poets are super nice. 
why don't you like stop that right oh. there? And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Colby Cedar Smith? And she is, in all seriousness, she is a super, super nice person yes, she and, is. and a great reader. Yes, she is. Um, so she did grow up in the Midwest. Um, and she still thinks about, she still, um, she still has um, thoughts, great thoughts about the northern woods and the smell of the lakes and such. She now lives in New Jersey with her husband, two kids, and a winter wolf named Poppy. A Wait. winter wolf of Chihuahua um, named Poppy. Okay, a winter wolf. She, um, she has, for 15 years, she's been teaching young children, teens, and university students and adults. She has taught at schools, art museums, community centers, and corporations. And for um, for cor corporations, she has facilitated leadership and communications courses. So she's not just a poet. She also has a corporate side to her. Okay. Right. And she's done that for large and small businesses. Mm -hmm. She has a BA in creative writing from Colorado College and a master's in education from Harvard. Wow. I know, That's right? That's really impressive. Right. She often uses visual art, music, and nature exploration in her workshops. And one of the things that I read about her that's so interesting is that she loves helping students to explore the wonders of language. She works uh, directly with them, and she um, she's very, um, she likes, to, like you said, she likes to use other mediums and to bring it into, to explore language. And she does, um, she believes that artistic communities increased empathy, trust, Im imagination, and cross-cultural understanding and emotional awareness. So for her, it's not just, it's art, but the community that the art creates. So it's, that's very big for her. Mm -hmm. so, you know, she teaches in the, in the, in the businesses and the workshops and such, and she brings in, you know, these important um, threads of, of and um, she has been a finalist for over 20 poetry prizes. Wow. In 2020, she received a New Jersey Council on the Arts Fellowship in Poetry. Her book, Call Me Athena, is only is her only book at this point. She's working on another one. I know that. It's a 2021 Michigan Notable book, and it was the winner of the Midwest Book Award for Young Adult Fiction. There's so many things that has been featured in so many magazines and so many prizes that she's been uh, she's been nominated for that I I could list them all. It would take me 15 minutes to list them all. But she's very. Um, it has been. Um, it has been um, at many accolades and many awards that she's been nominated for. Well, why don't you that. list them all? I'll just dream. <laughs> why you list them all? I couldn't possibly. <laughs> um, so yeah. So um, yeah. That, so that is a that is a short version of Colby Cedar Smith because she is so new on the scene. She doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. So, well, I'm um, sure that's going to happen. Right, right. But, but she is new on the scene. This is her first book. So, um, and think about that. It's her first book, and look at all the awards that right. she's winning for yeah, this book. It a, well, it's a fabulous book. It, it really is. And, um, and you know, if, if you go out and buy this book, it might look like it's really thick um, to get uh, to read, but um, it is a novel in verse, which means that um, basically it's like a poem a page. And a lot of these poems are are fairly short. So even though the book like comes in at like, um, like, uh, let me see, I'm going to do a check the last page. Even though this book comes in at like 547 pages, um, again, it's a quick read. It's a, it's a, it reads so fast and, and so easily and, um, but, um, beautiful writing. So, so she, she really is an incredible poet and has been for a while. 
and um, tonight's book, Call Me Athena, um, was was her first foray. They call it YA literature, which is really interesting to me because I mean some of the themes and ideas that she deals with certainly, you know, um, are are themes and ideas that appeal to adult readers as well. Um, but when we were talking with her, when I was talking with her um, uh, at, at her reading that Beth and I went to, um, she was talking about how um, she thinks that um, some of the most exciting writing that's being done these days is uh, is in the YA field. And I sort of agree with her. Um, you know, the uh, authors of uh, young adult uh, fiction and nonfiction and everything, they really are sort of um, some of the most exciting, um, writing some of the most exciting and interesting, um, interesting uh, um, uh, books that that are coming out right now. So, um, so what do you think about Call Me Athena? What do you want to talk about with this book? I thought it was just fabulous. I was just enthralled by her characters. Well, you know, I like characters well, in books. Why didn't Why didn't you give us a little plot synopsis of of the book? Well, it's um, it takes um the lives. It's loosely based on her grandparents, and it takes the lives of these um three. Is it three characters? Is it her parents or her grand? her great grandparents, aren't yes. they? Yes. Well, her great grandparents and her grandmother. Right. Basically, right. yeah. So it takes these lives of these um of her. They're characters, but they're like I said, they're also loosely also loosely based on her on her family, and it takes the lives and intertwined. She talks about how they're intertwined and how this person met this met this family member, and it's just it's really strong characters and really strong character driven. And I liked it. I liked it very much. And it was, it didn't even like you would think that if it was a novel in verse, it would be very hard to read. But it, it for me, it read just like a novel. I did. It didn't even bother me at all that it was in verse. It didn't even make it hard for me at all. And, and I mean, honestly, the you know, um, novel in verse is sort of. I mean, it's not like really a new form because if you really want to be, like, um, if you really want to be particular. I mean, old books like, yeah, I guess you could call The Inferno a novel in verse, or you could call um, The Odyssey a novel in verse as well, because it's, it's, a, it's a story that's told in poetic form, but it also has an extended narrative. And this is sort of what Call Me Athena is. Basically, she's telling the story of her great-grandmother who grows up in, in France and grew up in France. Her name is Jean. Jean or Jean, I think, and then her great grandfather, who was uh, who grew up in Greece, and because of uh, World War One, um, um, they sort of are are end up in the same place at the same time. Jean or Jean, Jean or Jean, I, I don't know. Um, well, her her great grandmother is working as a nurse in a hospital. And uh, Gio, I think that's um, that's the nickname for her great grandfather, um, is serving in the war and ends up wounded and in the hospital um, where where Jean is being a nurse. And they meet in this hospital and they fall in love, and um, and eventually they end up. Um, even though Jean was Jean loses both of her parents during World War One, um, her father was a doctor and is killed. Um, while he's serving in the army as a physician, and her mother sort of dies of 
heartbreak after her um, her father is her father dies. And so many people. Yeah, and um, so Jean um, at first was going to become a nun. In fact, that's what they were trying to force her into becoming. Um, but um, she instead falls in love with Gio, and um, and eventually um, marries marries her great grandfather. And then they emigrate to the United States, end up in Detroit, um, where um, Gio um, is, I, th- I think they first open up a, um, like a little grocery store. Right. And they're trying to make ends meet that way. And I think eventually they have to close down the grocery store. I don't know if it's because of the Great Depression, yes. but certainly the Great Depression has something to do with it. Right. Um, and, um, then um, they're sort of really, really struggling. And in the meantime, they have children. Um, yeah, um, and one of the children is the sort of third narrator of the entire book. Um, and, that, and that third narrator's name is Mary, who is based upon um, uh, Colby Cedar Smith's grandmother. And her grandmother is an interesting, interesting person because um, um, she used to be I believe she was the elevator operator for um, for Henry Ford at the Ford Motor Company, um, and um, so um, lots of re- there lot there's lots of um, um, Kobe Cedar Smith talked about the amount of research that she did for this book, which is immense. You know, um, I mean, this is like a 540 page book of poems, and um, if but the amount of uh, and then there at the end of the book. After after the the book is over, you also have like almost um, I would say um, almost twenty more pages of just uh, the uh, footnotes and and extra information about some of the research that she did for the book. And she she does include some letters that her great grandparents wrote to each other um, during the war. I'm not I can't remember if she said that those are all like um, real letters or they, they're just based on real letters that her grandparents wrote, great grandparents wrote to each other. But I mean, I mean, it's, it's sort of a very intricate story because um, um, her great grandfather literally has to flee Greece um, because of something that happens um, when, where, where um, he, I, her, her, I don't know if we want to get into it that much, but, her great grandfather's um, sister becomes pregnant, is married, and becomes pregnant, and um, and the, they need food, and so he convinces his brother-in-law to steal a goat or a sheep. I can't remember which, a goat or a sheep. And in the course of this whole uh, stealing the sheep, um, her husband, her 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 his brother-in-law gets shot and killed, and. Um, and so Gio literally has to flee from his hometown in order to um, uh, in order to avoid being um, hunted down and possibly killed for stealing this goat and and doing what he did. So um, he's sort of expatriated um, out of Greece um, by force because of his because of the action that he did and the fact that he has like such incredible guilt over uh, over the fact that. Um, he his brother-in-law was killed because of an action he right, told him to do. Right, and 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 the, that's sort of one of the heartbreaking poems of the story is where is where um he his mother um 
if Gio's mother tells him you need to go and and makes him leave. Um, and it's so, I mean, there's lots and lots of really sort of um, um, heartbreaking um, portions of this story. So, yeah. Um, and and uh, Mary has a sister, Marguerite, I think. And I think that Mary is her, like, American name. Is, is Athena her real name? You don't remember this. I don't remember. I don't remember specifics. That's why I said in general, I like the characters. I like the story. I don't remember specific details, honey. You know that about me. When I read a story, I like the characters. I like how it flows, but I don't remember specifics because specifics aren't that important to me. Really? Right. They aren't that. I don't need to know names, and I just like the stories. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, Mary, who is based on Colby Cedar Smith's grandmother, um, has a has a sister, and for some reason it sticks in my head that she was a twin sister, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've read the book, but anyway, um, Mary is gonna. They're trying. Uh, Mary's parents are trying to force her into an arranged marriage with um, an older business owner in the town, and they think this is in Detroit. And they think this is going to like make sure that Mary has a good life and that their family is going to have a good life and everything like that. Well, of course, as as everything happens, um, that Mary falls in love with another boy and does not want to marry this older man, and um, and of course this causes a lot of generational friction between between her parents and her. Because um, the father, of course, the father and the mother are like, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And especially the father, who's very, seemed very, very traditional in, in his belief system, um, uh, really wants her to um, uh, marry this man and, because he arranged the marriage. And so um, he, he doesn't want the dishonor of, of this not happening. But, um, but Mary's in love with this other boy. Um, an American boy, uh, uh, a more wealthy American boy, comes from a more well-to-do family in Detroit. And so the way that the story plays out is it's you, you, get, th you get three intertwining stories. You get Gio's story, which is the great-grandfather. You get Jean's story or Jean's story, which is the great-grandmother. And then you get Mary's story about how she falls in love with this boy in Detroit and wants to um, wants to start a life with him, and so I mean that's sort of that's sort of in a in a very roundabout way the 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 plot of the whole book. And I mean I don't want to give spoilers away as to whether Mary ends up with the boy that she loves or whatever. Um, but um, I will say this that it has a pretty happy ending for almost all the characters. Um, uh, although there's some there's some heartbreak in there too because Mary loses her sister to I think it's scarlet fever um, during the book and um, and of course the the family is really struggling with poverty um, because because of the Great Depression um, nobody's really um, they have to close down the family store that they were having and um, you know and then the father eventually gets a job at Ford Motor Company, but then gets injured on the job. And um, so lots of real, real life um, tragedy that happens during this. And of course, this is all told 
in um, in Combs, which is which for me is sort of a fact. I don't think that we have read or covered a novel in verse in this in this um, podcast before. Um, what I mean for you, Beth, what was your experience of like reading a book? which is a novel in verse versus just a regular novel. I mean, what's the difference? Like I said, it didn't, I thought it was going to bother me, you know, with it being in verse and poems, but it really, it read so smoothly. It didn't even bother me that it was poetry. I mean, it didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind to think, you know, oh, this is difficult or it's just not going right for me. I didn't have a problem at all reading this book as a book in verse versus a regular narrative book. Well, and, and it's really, and for me as a poet, what, what sort of fascinates me about the book is that, um, you know, and again, I've had a lot of alcohol, so I don't know how much sense I'm making tonight, but for me to be able to sustain a narrative and in that long, I mean, think about this. The book is like about 540 pages long, and pretty much each one of those pages is a separate poem. Um, sometimes you get like a two-page poem in there, but most of the time it's just one poem per page. So that is literally 540 separate poems um, that are sustained, that, that, are, that are employed to sustain the narrative that long, which is, for me, astounding and sort of confounding. I mean, I just can't imagine. Um, writing, you know, that many poems with that kind of concentration on, on a narrative. Um, and for it to really, really like hold together as well as it does um, and, and sustain that kind of an emotional um, depth. I mean, here, I mean, I'm just going to read you like um, some of, I, I want to read just a couple of the um, poems that I think are really um uh, gorgeous here. Um, let me see. Um, let's see. Um, yes, I'm flipping through the book here. I'm trying to find um, like a, a really good example. I mean, there are all such beautiful poems, um, but um, here we go. Um, I think this is a section um, where, where Geo is, um, thinking about, um, where Geo has to leave his hometown in Greece, um, because of what has happened with his brother-in-law. And so this is the poem that, um, that precedes him leaving, and it's called My Mother is Asleep. My mother is asleep in her bed. My heart aches at the thought of saying goodbye. I sneak around the house Try not to wake her. Find a staff, a sack, and stuff it with figs and tomatoes. Then fill a sheep's bladder with water. Pack matches and a warm sweater. Roll a thin wool blanket and tie it to my sack. If I don't leave now, I will go to prison. I open the door of my childhood home. My mother rises. From her face, I know that the men from the village have told her. I cannot open my mouth to say goodbye. She holds my shoulders as tears stream down my face. Finally, she looks me in my eyes with love, sharp as an eagle's talon. Go, my child, 
and never come back. Wow. I mean, it's such a, it's such a powerful, powerful poem. I mean, and that's just, that's just one. Um, and here's another one. Um, this is, uh, after, after, um, uh, Mary's mother, um, gives birth to another child. So Jean gives birth to another child in, in Detroit. And this is a really short one. I'm going to just read you a few of these because I think these poems are so stunning. My mother is a flower that has been drenched by a storm. All the women climb onto the bed, a lifeboat floating on a turbulent sea. All eyes are on the small creature lying on my mother's chest. He suckles at her breath, breast, surveying his brand new world. I mean, it, you know, um, here we go. Um, and then I'm going to read you one more. Um, let's see. Um, this is, this I, again, this is intertwining plots. And this comes in a section with John, where um, her, her, John's mother is dying of heartbreak because John's father has died um, in the war. And um, this is when, this is the poem that is about her mo uh, John's mother's death. So, my God doesn't listen. The coroner comes. He places a black blanket over my mother's body and lifts her onto a stretcher. They take her through the front door and load her onto a wagon pulled by six black horses. My God turns the sky gray and opens up the clouds. My God rains down on me with the thunder of sorrow. My God has made me an orphan. So, I mean, I just wanted to read some of these poems that are just, just really, really stunning and heartbreaking. But again, um, here's the thing about the, this book. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of tragedy that happens in it, but there's also, I mean, I would say that I wouldn't characterize this as a, a really depressing you know, story at the end, it has a happy ending. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, I, I really, I'm, I, I admire Colby Cedar Smith. I admire uh, a poet that can sustain something for this long. And I've been talking a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but I, I mean, I just, I want to give people a flavor of, um, of uh, um, what this book is how you know what what kind of beauty exists in this book i don't i mean if this book had been written as a, a regular novel i probably would have read it anyway um but um it being like um a, a, a sequence of poems telling a story is i think an even more kind of an astounding feat and um you know as you know as a as a poet you know, what I read, I really love to think about poetry is that poetry is able to um, cut to the heart of things a lot easier um, and get much more deeper than than just straight prose does. And I think that's what um, Call Me Athena does. So anyway. Well, you know what? Call me crazy, but I think it's time we rate this book. Um. Wow. 
So call me too drunk to argue, um, but I, I guess you're right. I called that one right. All right, you you can stop with the calling. So are we calling it a night then? No, <laughs> no, I'm calling an end to this really stupid, stupid bit that you're doing here. <laughs> Um, but um, my lovely partner in poetry is right. Um, it is time, it is that time in the podcast that we rate what we've read from one to five tiny Tims. One tiny Tim being the worst. Tim goes to work for Ford Motor Company and dies in an industrial accident on the assembly line. And Scrooge invests all of his money in making the Edsel and loses all of his money. Five Tiny Tims being the best. Tim changes his name to Robert Frost, emigrates to America, and wins four Pulitzer Prizes, while Scrooge, writing under the pseudonym Clement Clark Moore, pens the most famous Christmas poem of all time, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Wow. Um, uh, you know, okay, Beth, um, how many Tiny Tims did call me, the whole title of the book is Call Me Athena, Girl from Detroit. So how many, how many uh, Tiny Tims did Call Me Athena, uh, Girl from Detroit get from you? And I know you love it when I make you rate uh, the book first, because you, you sort of like to hear what I say first, and then you sort of base it. But I want you to rate this book first. Now, again, remember, um, for those of you that are new to the podcast, we don't rate this our ratings of one to five tiny Tims has nothing to do with how good the book is. It's about how Christmassy the book is more than anything else. Um, so um, one to five tiny Tims, Beth, which one is it? What do you I know? don't think there was that much Christmas in here. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was. I remember there is Christmas mentioned, but it's certainly not a Christmas book. There is Christmas, like I said, there is Christmas mentioned, but I don't think it's uh it's it's not very strong in this book, so I'm going to give it about a one and a half tiny Tims. Wow. Yeah. One and a half. One and a half tiny Tims. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Well, from from my recollection, you have one moment with Mary and her family in Detroit where something really sort of miraculous happens for them on Christmas after lots oh, of right, tragedy. That's right. That's right. Um. So you have that that's happening. Right. You that. also have a moment. Uh, between Jean and Gio, where I believe it happens at Christmas time, where they go to a dance together. That's right. That is that um, happen. There, there is that right. that moment at Christmas too. So I mean, I think that there are some really significant moments in in this this book that do occur at Christmas time. Um, and you know, if I were writing this book simply and purely on you know, the writing itself and the story and everything like that, um, I would probably give it like um, a huge five star or if it's one to four stars, I would give it a four star rating. But we're talking about Christmas and Christmas lit. Right. Um, and Christmas is not at the center of this book. Right. Um, but I mean, Christmas does make uh, and the holidays do make a, its presence known enough that I think it rates a little higher. Um, then one or two tiny Tims. So I would give this book probably about um, three tiny Tims. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not going to do a three. I, I beat you in the middle and, and do 2.25. You can't change what you're... I have a beat you in the middle. What was your original one? 1.5. Okay, so you gave it a one and a half. I'm going to give it a three. So meet you in the middle and call it a 2.25. No, you can't change your rating. Okay, like, hey, this is not a hard and given. You've this already is given. not a hard and fast rating system. You I can choose. I'm a woman, dang it. <laughs> I can choose to change my mind as many times as I want. Yeah, but, you know, the only reason you're changing your mind is because I just, like, laid out what You reminded me of what the Christmas was, and I remember the amazing Christmas that they had when they were a family and were so down on their luck. I remember that part now, and that was a very significant part. So, I like it. I, I, I will agree with the 2.25. 2.25. Yes, I will agree with that. Just two and a quarter stars. Yes. All right. I'll give you that. All right. And Colby, if you're listening to this, we love your book. Right. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I have recommended this book to people. Right. I think it's a gorgeous book. I think that it's an amazing book. Um, and the fact that you sustain this, this narrative for, um, so many poems, it's amazing. Um, and, um, and the fact that, um, there are like some really beautiful moments set at Christmas in this book, which I really love. So, um, I, I just want to say, Colby, if you're listening to this, I love this book. Um, and, um, you, I, and I can't wait for your other book to come out. So, um, anyway. And now that we have called in our rankings on Call Me Athena, it's time to write a little Christmas lit ourselves. I'll honor Christmas in my heart, and I'll try and keep it all the year. I'll live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. The lessons that they teach, that time in the lit for Christmas party, when your hosts pick up their pens and try to write some drunken Christmas poetry. This month, it is the lessons that Colby Cedar-Smith teaches. My husband is going to give you a writing prompt based on a passage from Call Me Athena, and then we are going to write for 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, Beth and I will share what we have written. Okay, but we don't want to write alone. So grab whatever you write with, and once you hear the prompt, pause the podcast, set a timer for 15 minutes, and write. All right, so um, let's call up the spirit of Christmas poetry. Um, okay, so like I said, there are a few moments, there are a few passages in this book that um, really are where Christmas takes front and center, um, but there's one in particular um, moment that takes place about, oh, almost 400 pages, 400 poems into the book um, that takes place literally on Christmas morning, um, and um Lots of lots of terrible things have happened in the family prior to this Christmas. Um, that their their family store is closed down. Um, uh, Mary's sister has died of scarlet fever, and Mary's feeling very guilty because the reason that her sister um, caught scarlet fever is because she was out looking for Mary in the rain when Mary was out with um, this boy that she shouldn't have been with, right? Um, so, um, Mary is feeling a little guilty about that fact as well. A lot guilty. Um, and the family is really struggling. They don't have money. They don't have food. And prior to this poem that I'm going to read you, um, Mary's mother, Jean, has written a letter 
to um, Eleanor Roosevelt um, about their situation. So um, this poem is called On Christmas Morning. On Christmas morning, there is a dusting of snow on the ground. We wake to the early morning light, pull our woolen blankets closer around our shoulders. Mama starts the fire in the wood stove and puts on a kettle. There is a knock. We hear the door open. Mama begins to laugh and then cry. We rush down the steps and out of the apartment. There is a long black limousine in front of the building with a Christmas tree strapped on to the top. Two men in black suits and top hats with red poinsettias pinned to their lapels are singing in the bleak midwinter while, while unloading wrapped gifts and food from the car. So, um, and I, you know, I might as well read the next, next poem as well, which sort of um, explains what's happening. Um, all the kids get presents. My brothers are, my brothers get spinning tops and toy soldiers and a pop gun. And I get a white rabbit fur hat that covers all of my curls and matching mittens. Marguerite would have loved the warmth and softness. My mother and father get a turkey with stuffing and a Christmas pudding and decorations and candles for the tree. And my mother receives a card. Dear Jean, I read your letter. I hope these humble gifts help to bring joy to your family. Please have your husband report to the Department of Human Resources at the Ford Motor Company on Monday morning. I have secured employment for him there. From our family to yours, Merry Christmas, Eleanor Roosevelt. So, um, and, and, and in case you're wondering, that is not an actual work of fiction. That uh, I asked Colby, Colby Cedar-Smith this during, uh, during her reading, and uh, that's an actual happening. That actually happened to her family where Eleanor Roosevelt did that. Um, for them, which um, is, is kind of a cool detail. Um, so um, what I want you to do um, as part of um, the Lit for Christmas, uh, writing Christmas lets here, is um, I want you to write about a time when something really unexpected um, happened to you on Christmas. So Write about a time, because that's what that is about. I mean, they weren't expecting something like that. But write about a time when something unexpected um, happens at Christmas. It can be a happy, unexpected thing, or it can be a sad, unexpected thing. I mean, it's your choice. So, um, yeah, um, that's the writing prompt. So um, set your alarm for 15 minutes and um, write with us, and we'll catch you at the end of that time.
minutes, believe it or not, and I don't think I've called up anything good tonight. You probably dialed the wrong number. I'm gonna hang up on you pretty soon. Okay, why did you go first? Alright. My sister's marriage ended long before it became final. The piece of paper, just a formality. The Christmas after it was final, he came to, he came to Christmas. And they announced her pregnancy. We didn't have gifts for him. We sat and stared at each other and her and him and smiled. We pretended to be happy for her, for him, for them. Would it last this time? Would the baby bring them closer or further apart? Would he be around next Christmas? The baby is, oh, the baby is 27 now and loves her mom and hates her dad and still we smile. Wow, that's um, depressing. <laughs> wow. That's what you came up with. That's what I came up with. Okay. There's hatred in that one. You asked me something unexpected. That was very unexpected. All right. Um, this is called Pandemic Christmas. Did you have a title for yours, by the way? Of course way? not. Ever since you told me I suck at titles, I haven't written a single title. You have to keep bringing that up. Yes, I do. I, I can't get past it. I have total block on titles. Total block. Pandemic Christmas. We were told Christmas could kill us. Getting together with family or friends, an invitation for infection, honeycomb of lungs, a war for breath and life. Every house on our block, a bunker or foxhole in this viral world war. My house was a sick ward. All three of the young people living under our roof in some stage of recovery. My daughter said drinking Diet Coke was like licking embers from a fire. Her boyfriend struggled, struggled for energy to even climb downstairs to go to the bathroom. On Christmas Eve, we watched old Christmas movies, listened to Bean Crosby, went outside, stood beneath a sky shrouded with clouds. Here is the miracle of that Christmas. We were all alive together, hadn't lost anyone to the virus, and Christmas would dawn with one simple great gift. In a world riddled with sickness, death, rising body counts, we had each other. That was enough, more than enough. Like Joseph finding that barn for Mary to give birth, I'm sure he thought the straw and manure and lice and cattle were miracles on par with a bush burning with the voice of God. Nice, very nice. Much, much better than mine. There's no hatred in mine, that's for sure. Well, you know what? It was something unexpected. That's what you asked for. All right. Well, um, so now that you have heard uh, Beth and myself embarrass um, ourselves by sharing our attempts at summoning the Christmas spirit of Colby Cedar Smith, you know 
what you just wrote with us is undoubtedly much better. Um, probably no hatred in yours. So please paste what you wrote in the comments to this episode or email it to litforchristmas at gmail.com. And we will read what you send us on our next episode. Speaking of next episode... You are the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You will show me the shadows of things that have not happened but will happen in the time before us. That's a spirit, ghost of the future. Oh, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. For May, in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, we will be reading Sonia Stone's novel in verse, and yes, another novel in verse, Saving Red, which focuses on a teenage girl's attempt to reunite a mentally ill homeless friend with her family by Christmas Day. Na, 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 Merry Christmas! So pick yourself up a copy of Saving Red by Sonia Stone. Uh, your invitation is already in the mail for May's Lit for Christmas party, which will drop hopefully on May 24th. Join us in a month as we get lit for Christmas. Again. Uh, and there will be no hatred <laughs> in our next episode. It was something unexpected, dear. And no hatred.
Thank you for coming to our little Yuletide shindig. The theme for this show is Jingle Bells Jazzy Style by Julius H., used courtesy of Pixabay. And the Lit for Christmas writing music is A Christmas Treat by Magic 828, also used courtesy of Pixabay. All music, sounds, audio clips, and quotes in this podcast are the property of their individual copyright holders. They are used solely for the purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Tomorrow morning, drink lots of water. Go to the library and check out some Christmas books. Visit the liquor store and stock up on Christmas cheer. Your invitation is already in the mail for next month's Lit for Christmas party. The tree will be lit, and so will we. Let's keep the Christmas spirits flowing all year long.